Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And happy new year to you and yours. And let's get this first Friday of 2019 started off with the first Duff McKagan joke of the week of the year. Hey, Chris Jericho, it's Duff McKagan. You know, my wife was going into labor. I called the doctor. I said, doctor, my wife's going into labor. Her contractions are coming really, really fast. Uh, what should I do? The doctor said, is this her first child? I said, no, this is her husband. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That's a good one. Duff is, uh, I think he got some joke books for Christmas because his stuff is uh, pretty good. <laughs> Thanks to Duff McKagan to start the joke of the week for 2019. I laughed. I cried. Uh, Duff just played uh, covers on New Year's in a cover band. They're called Cover Up with uh, dudes from uh, Green Day. Once again, Duff also working on a solo record based on his uh, recent tour with Guns N' Roses. Duff is a great guy. We're going to have to get him back on to Talk is Jericho when the time is right. Uh, thanks to Duff and thanks to Reed Tucker for returning to Talk is Jericho to talk comic books. Reed came on to talk about the Marvel versus DC battle, which he also wrote about in his book Slugfest, the epic 50-year battle uh, between Marvel and DC. Great read and a great podcast. Uh, you should pick up that book and go listen to the show we did last year talking about the epic war between the two comic book brands. And today, this week, Reed is back to talk about some of the writers and artists who helped create some of the biggest superheroes in comic book history, but who died completely unknown and broke. I'm talking about people like Steve Ditko, who really contributed a lot to the development of Stan Lee's Spider-Man. It wasn't just Stan Lee. Steve was involved. Steve never got any credit or cash. How about Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who created Superman and died broke? And even Batman. I bet you don't know the name Bill Finger. Well, you will after this show. All of these stories are so hard to believe, but totally true. And Reed's also talking about the state of comic books today and has some great ideas as to how DC can up their game to compete with Marvel when it comes to making movies. We know Wonder Woman and Aquaman are great movies. DC needs to continue in that vibe. So here we are talking comics with Reed Tucker right now and Talk is Jericho. Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size. Catches thieves just like flies. Look out. Here comes the Spider-Man. All right, so I guess, I don't know, maybe six months ago, eight months ago, last year, uh, I had Reed Tucker on the show, 
Uh, which is funny because there's some social media that have you listed as Tucker Reed, and I was like, I think his name is Reed Tucker. So. There is a guy named Tucker Reed who's like the some sort of government official in Brooklyn. I get a lot of his emails. Oh, really? Yeah. So okay. he gets a lot of my emails. So I get stuff about <laughs> well, like trash pickup and Gravesend, and he gets stuff about like Superman. So <laughs> shout out to Tucker Reed if you're listening, which I'm sure you aren't. <laughs> yeah. But it was you had written a book uh, um, uh, about the Marvel versus DC War Slugfest. Yeah. Is what it was called. And it was one of my top rated shows of the year. And you just mentioned it did a lot for you as well. It did, yeah, which is what we were just talking about this off the air. But there seems to be a lot of crossover between wrestling fans and comic book fans. Mm. What do you think is going on there? Why do you think people like those two I always things? say that, that like uh, wrestling fans, KISS fans, comic book fans, Star Wars fans that are uh, intertwined in a lot of ways. Because I think, you know, wrestling is basically like in a lot of ways a comic book come to life. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like a live action comic book sort of thing, and there's a lot of guys like Hurricane Helms and CM Punk, and like tons of guys that are that, are, that have written comic books, um, and they're just very much into that culture. And I think there's a lot of fans that feel the same way. And obviously, like I said, just going by my by my numbers, your show is the highest rated non wrestling show that I've had in 2018. That's crazy. And you mentioned that that, that tell me what you just said about about, about uh, for exposure for your book. Yeah, you know, so my book came out last October, and um, you know, I work in journalism. I have a lot of context in journalism. So it got a lot of pickup in the press of. You know, it was in the New York Times, it was in Newsweek, it was in AP, it was all, all these places. And that, that didn't seem, I mean, it did some, but it didn't seem to do that much. But when I was on your show, for whatever reason, it just totally blew up. So I had all these people contact me, a bunch of movie producers contact really? me. Really? Yeah. Um, I'd had a couple email me, but like after that show came out, it was like, hey, I heard you on Chris Jericho's podcast. No kidding. L are the rights available? So from that, um, you know, we started to... You're kidding me. Yeah. So, so there's a chance that there's some... You, know, you don't have to give away any secrets, but you were contacted for a movie deal. Yeah, so it's it's in the works, maybe. That's amazing. So we'll see what happens. So yeah. a movie deal based on Marvel versus DC and some of these like covert operations that happened? Kind of, yeah. Like a documentary series more than a, a feature film. Oh. Yeah, so I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the deal is still being done, but yeah, so I have well, you to thank for that. So well, I appreciate and, it. And once again, you know, I, I'm, I'm not stupid. I had some extra time today i'm like oh, i gotta get read on the show again oh no and what we're gonna do is last time we talked about marvel versus dc and if you guys haven't heard the show or read reed's book and you're into comics you got to go read it because it's very interesting to see kind of how all of these uh like we said like kind of one-upping each other one's upsmanship I, I thought it was very interesting what we spoke about stan lee about he is now the face of marvel comics but there was other guys involved who were kind of in that realm, in that world. Yeah. And what you brought up, because I said, let's just talk about comics and then yeah. some of the history, was was the recent passing of Steve Ditko. Yeah. Who was one of my favorite artists because he was uh, he drew the original Spider-Man. Yeah, so you liked him, huh? Yeah, remember when I told you that yeah. I had Amazing Spider-Man yeah. 13 or 18? That's right. Penciled by Steve Ditko. Right. Well, some people didn't like his art because it was so um, kind of out there. It was very oddball. It wasn't very smooth. Mm. I don't know. Were you attracted to kind of the, the outsider? How do you mean, like... Well, you know, his characters weren't very uh, attractive, you know, the... the kind of weird looking. Kind of weird looking. It was very, um, it was kind of off-putting for some mm, people. But uh, but I think that's what people liked about it. Spider-Man had really big 
white eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was perfect for Spider-Man because, you know, Peter Parker's a gawky teenager and Spider-Man's kind of a, um, you know, he put he put him in a lot of interesting poses, uh, mm. the character. And then John Romita came along after Ditko left and the characters became much prettier. You know, Mary Jane, his girlfriend, became beautiful. Peter Parker looked like a kind of a built athlete. And um, so some people were uh, put off by that change. But, but the original point of Peter Parker was he was just a gawky teenager. Exactly. That's what yeah. I thought too. And so that's what Ditko really captured that what people liked. Um, yeah, and it's funny, if, if people don't know, Ditko he died you know, at the end of June. So, uh, and how he, old was he? He was probably 90, I think. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's really weird. And you know, we're recording this in Midtown Manhattan and he had a studio probably four blocks from here really? where he just continued to work. And uh, it was in just a nondescript building off Broadway just north of Times Square. And you could take the elevator up and there was just a, a wooden door and it had a panel on it that said S. Ditko. So he was just behind that door. And uh, he worked there kind of anonymously for for years. What, what years was he doing Spider-Man? So he did it until 66. So 62 From, to 66. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, you know, he'd been a freelance artist for Marvel. Stan Lee wanted him to come back and, and draw Spider-Man. He did it, uh, and he famously had a falling out with Stan Lee. Over? Uh, no one's sure. This is the mystery of Steve Ditko. He will never talk about it. Hmm. Um, he's a real, uh, maybe recluse is too strong, but he's a real kind of antisocial guy. Um, and so it was either Stan Lee didn't communicate with him, he didn't like the story Stanley was writing, or he thought he was owed more money from Spider-Man's success. Mm -hmm. that, those are the speculations. But all of a sudden, he turned in his last issue of Spider-Man, uh, and then he quit, and, and apparently never spoke to Stanley again. Really? Yeah, and, and never worked for Marvel again. He did. He did come back. He, he was a weird guy. Um, he was into this whole Ayn Rand objectivism thing, mm -hmm. which he got into in the '60s, and so he had a real black or white view of the I world. Think Neil Peart wrote a lot of lyrics for Rush based oh, on Ayn Rand right? theories, like Anthem is one I know for sure. Oh, man. I think Twenty One Twelve might even be based on an Ayn Rand novel uh, at some point. So once it, again, a little bit of geekdom there. Does that make it better or worse uh, for uh, you? Uh, anything to do with Rush makes it better. Yeah, okay. <laughs> with the Ayn Rand stuff. So he was in the philosophy of yeah he, he got into that and so he had a real black and white view of the world and if you crossed him in the smallest way he would cut you out of his life um and so he he kind of stopped doing uh superhero comics for a while and started towards the end of his life he was in that studio you know four blocks away and he was drawing these very strange uh self-published pamphlets all about almost like editorial cartoons about um, objectivism philosophy. Even in his 80s? Even in his 80s. Um, and so he had just had a Kickstarter, apparently, uh, a couple weeks before he died. He was just in there working, working, working all the time. And he would put out these, these comics that had no distribution. You had to get a mail order from his editor. Um, he didn't care about money. That was one of the things I think is the most un-American thing. The most, the <laughs> least 2018 thing I can think of was he was the co-creator of Spider-Man. He co-created Spider-Man. Co-created Spider-Man. With Stan Lee. Yeah. And if you ask some wow. people, he did almost all of Spider-Man. One thing which goes back into what we were saying, this is not an anti-Stan Lee podcast, no. but what you said before was that Stan is given credit for creating all of these characters. Right. But usually there was a co-creator with him that might have done the right. majority of the work. Yeah, so there's real dispute over what happened because it was so long ago and everyone has a different version of the story. Stan Lee contends he had the idea for a character called Spider-Man. It was going to be a teenage boy. He would have the powers of Spider. 
Steve Ditko contends that's all Stan Lee had. He gave him the idea. Stan Lee, I mean, sorry, Steve Ditko came up with the costume, came up with Peter Parker. What does his life look like? What does that first story look like? So all the elements that we consider the fleshing out of Spider-Man are probably due to Steve Ditko. Mm. So there's that whole argument of like, who is the creator of something? Like, I, I don't know what you would well, think. Sure. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's similar to... You know, Lennon and McCartney wrote every Beatles song. Totally. And now we know that obviously yesterday, for example, was all Paul. Right. And he wanted to change it from Lennon McCartney to McCartney Lennon. And that caused a big issue because it's Lennon McCartney, but he didn't do anything on it. Exactly. But still, that's the way people see it and perceive it. So Stan Lee created Spider-Man. Well, who's this Steve Ditko trying to take credit for it? Right. I think most people don't even, you know, who like Spider-Man or who have seen the movies don't even know who Steve Ditko was because Stan Lee is so personable. He's the face of Marvel. Um, Steve Ditko apparently did a comic convention back in the mid-60s. That was the one comic convention he ever went to. He never did another one, and I think his last interview was in 1968. Wow. Since then, he's never spoken publicly. He's never appeared publicly. And never drew anything for any big... He never. Not that he didn't jump to DC or anything like he that. He did. Uh, that's the thing I don't understand is... Uh, Marvel burned him so badly in his own eyes, and yet in the 80s or 90s, he went back and he did a few jobs for them. Mm. Um, he created this character called Speedball, co-created. He did this uh, character called Squirrel Girl, uh, which is so weird. <laughs> which then DC created Squirrel Boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's in one the, of the greatest stories from last time you said that DC had Wonder Boy. Totally. So they Marvel would, created Wonder Girl. Or rip off each other back and forth. <laughs> yeah, he just did weird things. Like, I think in the 80s, somebody hired him to draw a Transformers coloring book. Hmm. Um, so I, I don't I know. I recall that. Yo, did you have that growing I'm up? I'm not yeah. sure, but I remember like it's such a random like what? Yeah, exactly. So he, you know, he did some jobs, but I think his his real uh, passion was doing these objectivism comics that nobody was reading. I don't think he cared. I a few years ago I wrote a newspaper story about him, so I knocked on his door over just there in the studio, just unannounced, because the doorman was like, "Yeah, sure, going up." So I knocked on his door. He actually answered, and he was, you know, he was an older guy. He was probably in his 80s. He had, um, you know, a white undershirt on. It had ink stains on the front. He had plastic gloves on that had ink all over him. He was holding a brush, and he had maybe jeans on, and he just looked like... What did he look like? What did he have hair, no hair? What no, he was tall, bald. Skinny? He had, like, wisps of gray hair on the top of his <laughs> head. He had really thick um, uh, glasses, you know, kind of horn rim glasses. Uh, and he was very polite but very firm that he did not want to talk um you know and he's tired of answering questions about spider-man because for him it was in the past but um yeah i don't know i can't think of another person in american life who would shun money and publicity in the way that he did especially as the co-creator of spider-man yeah and this is something that we're going to talk about right now uh, in this in this show is how a lot of these guys who created these big name characters basically died destitute or with nothing. Right. And you're telling that Steve Ditko, when he passed away, had a you know a sign on his door that said S. Ditko, but uh, you know in an apartment or whatever, he should be living in a palatial estate for all the money that he'd be making from that from it, Spider-Man. Exactly. Just one of those movies from Spider-Man probably made you know near a billion dollars sure. maybe. So he, I don't know what. Uh, I asked him, did he ever get any money from Spider-Man? And that was one of the things that he said, no, no. That was one of the questions he did answer when I knocked on his door. And he said he didn't. Um, my guess is he did. Marvel was sending him checks for the stuff that they reprinted, um, the Spider-Man comics. But I don't know if he got any money. Well, that could also explain the, the fallout between him and Stan Lee. 
Yeah, that could. I, I really don't know. Um, so other people uh, have sued Marvel to try to reclaim some of the rights from their characters, and Marvel has paid them to go away. You know, he easily could have done that and probably gotten a few million dollars to settle if he had gone who away. Who else had sued, do you know? Well, yeah, Jack Kirby, who, I, you know, we so talked Iron about Man? last time. Uh, yeah, he created, yeah, I mean, he created basically like the X-Men, the Avengers. Wow. You know, pretty much almost everything having to do with Marvel in the 1960s. A Fantastic Four. He was probably their biggest creative mind um, next to Stan so, Lee. So so what was it that made Stan Lee become the face of Marvel Comics? Was, was it Stan himself or was yeah. it somebody just going, hey, you're, you're it's you. <laughs> yeah, at one point he was their only employee, so I guess they had no choice. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he was very, um, he had a very kind of engaging personality. He was very charming. He was very good in public. He did a lot of... Um, uh, talks on the college circuit right um you know he was always on tv but i also think um this is my own personal opinion i don't know this but uh he toiled in anonymity for a very long time uh, you know he went to work at marvel in in i think 1939 and so he wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories for these comic books which were considered trash and so in the 60s, you know, he was middle-aged. He had had no success in his life. And so he was finally gaining some success. Comic books were becoming respected. He was getting written up in newspapers. You know, he was being asked to speak at colleges. He was on TV. And so I think that really um, kind of fueled him in a way. And so that, that's my own... That's my own personal personal gotcha. view. I don't know if that's that's true or not, but uh, well, it would make sense. So, so who, what other you know famed comic book creators ended up kind of in this same situation? Yeah, I mean, the most famous are the creators of Superman. I don't know if you know their story. I don't. But, um, uh, Do tell, Reed. Yeah, exactly. So these were guys, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who were teenagers when they created Superman um, back in the 1930s. They had done strips for their high school newspaper. You know, they were just two nerds who were into comic books, and they um, created this character, Superman. They shopped it around. No one was interested until finally National Comics, soon to be DC Comics, picked it up and published it as part yeah, of an so, anthology. So just, just as, as a quick segue, yeah. so if you and I created a comic book character in mm. the 30s, are we, are we sending it away to different publishers yeah. and comic book companies going, hey, here's an idea. You yeah. want to buy it? Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. And th but this is the big area of dispute because the comic books were booming. They need a lot of material. And so they did take on freelancers or people who just walked through their door because they were in some right. desperate need, need of material. Yeah. Um, so Superman had actually been rejected by a newspaper syndicate. That's what they were trying to get because that was the most lucrative. Like gig. comic strips. Yeah, comic strips. So the first issue of Superman was actually drawn as a comic strip and they had to recut it to publish it in the comic book. And here's form. a little lesson, kids, for, yeah. for those of you who don't know. When I was a kid, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, Reed, but I'm sure you're the same generation. You would wait till Saturday yeah. where, and I had to do this because I was a paper boy, and Saturday was always a huge addition that you would put the comics insert into the paper. So you, your dad would get the paper, sports, entertainment, kind of the comics, dad, yeah. and he would pull out this, I don't know, 16-page insert that had all the comics that you could read, but yeah. only every Saturday. Right. <laughs> so is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but you know, those were really apparently well paid because they were syndicated, and you know, as you said, they came out all the time, weekly, so, daily. Whatever. Yeah, and that so that was that was the dream, I think, for most comic book artists is to get something like that, like Prince Valiant or whatever. I don't know what you sure. read yeah, yeah. growing up, but uh, well, Mary, it was, one, it was Prince Valiant. So like, uh, yeah. Even they, as you get a little bit more, they say Family Circus. <laughs> yeah, you know, the right. Far Side. Remember yeah. how huge the Far Side was? Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the name of the the, the guy who? makes the sandwich 
Uh, oh, uh, uh, Blondie. Blondie, yeah. His yeah. Name, I can't remember the guy's name. It was Denzel or Delton or Denton or Dagwood. Dagwood. Dagwood, yeah. Dagwood sandwich. Yeah, so I remember as a kid in the 70s and 80s reading Blondie, which mm. probably came from the 20s or 30s. But it still was like once you got hooked up in that in that uh, in that world, you would go forever. Charles Schultz and Ch- Charlie right. Brown, Peanuts. That was going for fifty years. Still going, and he's dead. Right. So that, I mean, that tells you right there. Right, 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 live right. Forever. Right. So that, yeah, that was their dream. But they um, they ended up selling it to to DC back then, and they got a hundred and thirty dollars for it. Uh, wow, for all rights to the character. Yes, and this is th- yes, this is exactly this is where it's disputed because a lot of the problems that come in is uh, that the the publishing company claims that any work done for them is done work for hire and that they own it, whereas a lot of some of the artists and writers say, you know, that's not fair. You know, I had this character, yeah. and so they weren't, you know, they were either I- incredibly in need of money, you know, as people during the Great Depression were, and so they were willing to sell it for whatever, or they also weren't very um, smart about contracts or, or legal issues. Well, and, let me just once again. So you're yeah. talking about, let's say, the Beatles. Yeah, they sold all their publishing to Dick James Publishing when they were 18, 19. You need to have a publishing firm. Ninety percent for Dick James, ten percent for the guys. Right. You know, Lemmy, when a uh, uh, famous Aussie record, no rest. Uh, sorry, uh, no more tears. He wrote a song called uh, "Mama, I'm Coming Home." All the lyrics. Oh yeah. Sold it to Ozzy for forty thousand dollars. It goes on to sell three million records. And then right. Lemmy's words to me is like, "I thought it was a good idea at the time. I was wrong." <laughs> but you're selling you because you don't know how big it's going to get. And these guys for one hundred thirty bucks in nineteen thirty two, it probably gave them food for a month. Exactly. And also, like, you're exactly right. Where they had no idea that this was going to be anything because nobody expected that these characters would last forever and they would become very lucrative. And so they sold they sold the rights for one hundred thirty dollars. They were hired by DC on a 10-year contract. So they were producing Superman, um, you know, in the comics. They actually did get a comic strip. There was a radio show. But DC was making hand over fist money. So they were merchandising Superman. And they, uh, you know, like I said, they had those TV shows and radio shows. So they were making millions of dollars. Um, But I think... sheets, pajamas, whatever. Everything Superman. Toothbrush, whatever, yeah. Yeah, and so... Apparently, in the early days, they were making decent money. So they, I saw a lawsuit that said that they probably made half a million dollars in the first 10 years, which back then was probably a lot of money. But when their 10-year contract came up, they sued to try to reclaim the rights for Superman or to say that they had, um, you know, they were owed more money because this character had then become, you know, just this worldwide hit that they never expected. And they felt, I think rightly so, left out of, of all the profits. Um, and so... They sued uh, DC and they lost. And so after that, they were fired off Superman. And from there, their lives kind of took a tumble. Um, they had a, a real difficulty finding work. Yeah, so nobody would hire a comic them. book artist and, or whatever. I'm sure one was the artist, one was the Yeah, one was the artist, one was the writer. And so Not yeah. a lot of work in the comic book biz. Right, and yeah. so they were kind of blackballed because of their lawsuit. And so uh, they got so desperate that a, a few years later, um, Jerry Siegel, who was the writer, his wife wrote to DC Comics and said, you know, please help this guy. You know, he we, we don't have enough money. We're going to get evicted from our apartment. We can't afford diapers, all these ridiculous things. And so... He was rehired. Um, this was in probably 1959, I think. So he worked for on Superman for a few more years until he was then fired again. Uh, and so then they've tried to sue a few more times over the years. They always lost um, because the courts held that they signed away the rights. And um, and that's so ridiculous. Yeah. You know? 
Like you hear about things like that nowadays where they will kind of give you retro rights and stuff. Yeah. You're signing under duress. Yeah, exactly. I right? agree with you. And, you know, they were basically high school kids who didn't know what they were doing. But when I first went to wrestling school the very first day, they gave me a contract at the Hart Brothers uh, school. And you had to sign the contract that said if you, uh, any, any uh, money that you make in the wrestling business for the next five years, you have to pay uh, Hart Brothers 10%. Okay. And I remember, it, but it said Heart Brothers Pro Wrestling, but it was Heart Brothers Pro Testing. They put a, a T instead of the S, so Heart Brothers Ooh. Pro Re Testing. Um, but it, it's called signing under duress. I remember asking my family lawyer, like, "Do I owe these guys?" Like, no. Like, you don't show up for the first day of wrestling school and say yeah. for the next five years, ten percent, like, or else you can't train here so it's the same thing with these guys they're yeah. signing it under duress out of high school right and the fact that the courts held that up i mean you're talking about the 50s and 60s i bet you guarantee that would not fly in this day and age maybe not yeah i don't know but they you know they yeah they really fell on hard times there there's a famous story about joe schuster who was the artist and he was also slowly going blind so his his avenues for work were really decreasing and he, uh, at one point, I think in the 50s or 60s, was working as a messenger in New York. So he was carrying packages around. And one day, he actually had to deliver something to DC Comics, a, a, a message. So he brought a package up there. And a lot of people who were still there from the old days recognized him. So he was just, you know, he had really fallen on hard times. Uh, wow. a, a few years later, he was uh, arrested for sleeping on a park bench in Central Park. And so the cop felt so bad for him that he went and bought him dinner, apparently. This is the creator of Superman. Creator of Superman. Possibly the most famous superhero of all time. Yeah, and he had no money. Uh, so, yeah, he was living in an apartment, apparently in Queens, with his brother. And their descriptions of the apartment. It was like a one-bedroom apartment for the two of them. He was sleeping on this couch where the springs were coming out of the couch. He was nearly blind. He had no money. He had no prospects. Uh, meanwhile, the writer, Jerry Siegel, he eventually fell out of the comic business and he moved out to the West Coast and he was working as a government clerk in an office for $7,000 a year. So that, was this ever rectified for these two guys? It was in a way. So when the before the movie came out, when word came that the, the Superman original, movie, Chris the original, Reeve, 1978. Yeah. 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 So I think it was around 1974, 1975 when the word that they were making that movie came out. Uh, Jerry Siegel, the writer of Superman, took out a full page ad in the New York Times that and some other newspapers that just said, you know, I put a curse on the Superman movie. You know, this has ruined my life. DC Comics has ruined my life. And so he, after that, his cause was championed by comics creators and also uh, mainstream media started to pick up the story. And so DC Comics got shamed into giving him some money. So at that time, uh, they got Siegel and Schuster and they gave them $20,000 a year for life to also to renounce the, the rights, apparently. Mm. Um, for both or just... Each one got twenty thousand dollars a year. And yeah. what years are we talking? So, the so 60s that was nineteen seventy-five, I think. Nineteen seventy-six, around Not a king's there. King's ransom, but probably no. Yeah, probably close to fifty grand a year, maybe. Yeah, maybe something like that. And apparently, it went up after a while. So towards the end of their life, I think they both died in the mid-nineties um, or later. They they were getting around eighty thousand dollars a year. So does that still continue now for the estate of these families? Well, the thing is. When Schuster died, he was the one who was going blind. He was the artist. I, I believe what I read was when he died, he was so in debt that his family could not pay his debts. And DC agreed to step in and pay his debts if he would renounce and his family would renounce all rights in the future. Hmm. Siegel, the writer, did not do that. And so he's, he's long since passed away, but his, 
his heirs, I believe his wife and his, his children, sued DC to try to reclaim the rights to Superman. This was starting in the late 90s. It's been going on for years and years and years. Um, they lost, but then it gets appealed, appealed. I believe the only thing they won on was the character of Superboy, which apparently uh, they had created outside of Superman. <laughs> so they now, I think the family now owns the rights to Superboy, but they don't own the rights to which Superman. Which is like a buried character. We're, which is we crazy. We never see a Superboy. You never see it, no. And, and, any comic book character with the word boy in it <laughs> yes. does not uh, do very well. No, exactly. And it's totally derivative of the main <laughs> character. I mean, I don't know how Superboy is different from Superman, but... Uh, so they apparently control the rights to that. Hmm. Uh, so DC had to pay them off to use the character of Superboy. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. To the Batmobile. Let's go. How about the creator of Batman? Oh, that's a good one. That's another good one. So that's another interesting one because if, if you ask anyone who created Batman, they would say this guy, Bob Kane. Bob Kane, yeah. Yeah. So he, Bob Kane was like the Steve Ditko of, of Batman art. He drew that early 40s 50s batman yes exactly right and he was also had a little bit of stan lee in him because he was a total just publicity hound um he did interviews he loved to put his public face out there uh he wrote a bunch of books he wrote an autobiography but he was a better uh promotional man than he was an artist apparently his art was terrible and so he actually ran a studio where he hired a bunch of artists on the side they called him ghosts to draw the batman wow um but the the guy he really screwed over was this guy named Bill Finger, who was most people don't know who he is at all. Finger, finger, like yeah, yeah like our finger, okay. like our finger, exactly. Like he, he got fingered. Um, <laughs> so it, when Superman took off, DC Bat, uh, Bob Kane was working doing some work in the comics industry, and DC said to him like, "Hey, we've got this superhero character. Why don't you go and create another superhero character? They're really selling." So Bob Kane apparently went home and he created this character called Batman. But the the Batman character that he created was nothing like the character he we knew. It was a guy. He had red tights on. He had a mask on. He he carried a gun. Uh, and so at the time, Bob Kane was working with this guy Bill Finger, and he showed the character to Bill Finger, and Bill Finger had a lot of suggestions. And most of his suggestions are what we know about Batman today: make him a detective. You know, make his character all black, so he kind of blends into the shadows. Bill Finger created the Batcave. He created the Batmobile. He created Batman's origin, which is, you know, his parents were shot in an alley. Right, and right. Uh, so, uh, so Bill Finger created all that? Created all that. Wow. Uh, the only reason, apparently, that Bob Kane gets all the credit that he does is, um, you know, this is maybe an urban legend, like you just did a show on urban legends, <laughs> sort of fits in with that. But uh, his, parent, his father apparently was an accountant, This is what, or knew a lot about money, and so he was able to negotiate a contract with D.C., to protect his rights. And so one of the clauses in his contract was Bob Kane would always be known as the creator of Batman in perpetuity. Gotcha. So he basically screwed over Bill, Bill Finger, even though Bill Finger contributed so much to hmm. um, what we know as Batman. Basically, everything we know as Batman. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you're a Kiss fan or not, but there's a, there's a song called War Machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is when Kiss was 
it was 1982. They're trying to get back on track because they had a couple stinker albums. And so they used Brian Adams and Jim Valance. And Brian Adams is the Brian Adams, the one that we know, Summer 69 oh, and yeah. something. And they wrote this song, War Machine, which Gene Simmons loved. And what I heard is that Gene called Brian Adams and Jim Valance, whatever, and said, this is a great song, but it needs an extra verse. And they're like, well, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Because that way, instead of being War Machine by Brian Adams and Jim Valance, it could be War Machine by Gene Simmons, Brian Adams and Jim Valance. Even though the, the song did not need another verse, Gene uh, added the verse just so we get a little bit of a writing credit. S similar to what we're hearing here. Yeah. yeah. But did you ever have any situations like that in your life? Which you know how the creative process is. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I've always been very, I mean, I, there's a lot of times when, I remember, I remember back in, in WCW, Ted Turner's company that I worked for, I came up with this whole idea that uh, there was at the time there was a Raven's flock and Raven was the leader and he had like a bunch of minions. Mm -hmm. And my idea was I would come in and try and, you know, whatever, get in a, uh, an angle with Raven or get a match with Raven. And I would have to work my way through the flock. Oh, cool. Beat like six guys to finally get to Raven and then he would beat me. And I pitched that angle. Right. And we never did it, but I think. I think it was Chris Benoit or Billy Kidd. No, Billy Kidd was in the flock. I think it was Chris Benoit that actually got the angle. I was like, and then when it happened, I was like, that, that's my, I wrote that. Right. But somebody else took it and went, here's a great idea. And you got left out of the, of the loop. And ever since then, whenever I had an idea, I would pitch it right to the boss face to face so he would know it came from me. But it doesn't surprise me that you hear this because perception is reality. And I didn't know until this moment that Bob Kane didn't create Batman. Right. I always thought that he did. Right. Yeah. I think most people don't know um, until uh, now. Bill Finger, he died also alone and completely destitute, also in Midtown Manhattan. Wow. It's one of those sad stories where he died, I think, at age 59 and his body wasn't found for two or three days because, oh, yeah. you know, no one was checking on him. But um, apparently he did have children. And now I think his son is dead, but he has a grandchild. And the grandchild, with the help of some people, um, did try to approach DC to get him credit. And I think there was some sort of legal action. But now... On Batman versus Superman movie, he got credited on that as characters created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Yeah, I think the it's with Bill Finger. Okay. I think because they can't break that contract. But yeah, but you yeah, know, exactly. like at least it's something, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, just last, I think December, he got a street name for him up in the Bronx, near wow. where he grew up, uh, or where he went to school, and where he met Bob Kane, and uh, near a park where he and Bob Kane used to sit apparently and hash out the whole Batman stories. So he's he's getting his due. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure. I'm sure his heirs get some money as well. So it's as you said earlier, it's like they're retroactively fixing these mistakes. But it's it's kind of sad that, um, you know, we enjoy these movies and there's so much merchandise and so much money in the world that these characters are making. And most people don't know that the people a lot of the people who created them kind of got screwed over. Well, that's what I'm saying, too. Like if you're talking about just the DC universe, and we're going to switch back over to Marvel in a second or even with, with Steve Ditko. I mean, like Batman and Superman still to me. With all the characters that are going on, and I know there's huge movies and lots of money being made right now with Marvel and not a lot with DC. I still think if, if you took you know, a picture, a, a, a book of 10 superhero pictures to, I don't know, Swahili yeah. or Russia yeah. or Luxembourg or Winnipeg, Canada, New York City, whatever, people would go, that's Superman, that's Batman, and that's Spider-Man. I still think those... Is there, is there a top three? I think you're exactly right. You know I think I mean? those are probably the top three. Maybe the Hulk? 
Maybe. But I'm just showing you pictures. You go, okay, the guy with the red cape. Yeah. Superman. Guy with the spider mask and the guy with the bat mask. We know those guys. And two out of those three are are DC. And the fact that they haven't been able to parlay that into more of a DC domination in the movies to me just shows how they've blown it. Because everything now is Marvel, 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 Marvel. I mean, this week it's like Ant-Man versus Wasp Girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how low in the totem pole are they getting here? I, and yet that movie is a hit and people are looking forward to it. Yeah, it, it, Marvel has done something I think has probably never been done in the history of Hollywood. And that is, they, this is the, I think, Avengers Infinity Wars in the 19th movie, you know, since Iron Man came out in 2008. And they have been able to build interest with each successive movie whereas you know when we were growing up by the time the third movie came out you know it was terrible you lost interest like Superman 3 well sure 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 (laughs) you know it's like that was the rule Superman 4 the war for peace or whatever remember that one I was on cable the other day I was watching that oh it's not good it's not good nuclear man and and 3 is tolerable but that's still Richard Pryor's in it it's like what it's got a computer subplot yeah 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 yeah. you put this hand here and this hand here to to open the door but I remember when I think we mentioned this last time speaking with Kevin Smith uh, I think he's the one who told me that, okay, like uh, Marvel signed a deal. Sony signed a deal with Marvel that we that we have to put out two or three pictures a year, whichever one it was. Mm. And that's why they're digging deep. And they're smart because Ant-Man, okay, who, Paul Rudd. People love Paul Rudd. Put him in there. You know, uh, Avengers Infinity War, ensemble cast, Josh Brolin, we love him, you know, and all yeah. these guys. And, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, no one even knows who these people are. But they put a great soundtrack. They put Chris Pratt. Batista's great in it, my, my, my brother. So everything Marvel's doing right, DC is doing wrong. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, are you looking forward to Aquaman or... Well, you know, I always loved Aquaman. Yeah, but, exactly. But it's not the guy with the orange shirt and the, the, <laughs> no. the green tights. It's Jason Momoa, right? Yeah. But but my thing is, like, okay, so what does what does DC do... To try and actually, let me let's rephrase this. There's something that you kind of brought up, and I'm going to ask you this. Although you can probably explain it better than I can. Where do we go with these movies now in the next five, ten years? Because listen, it's a huge, booming business, but mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do with these characters. Yeah, correct. I, I agree with you completely. And you know, I would have thought that audiences would have tired of these a few years ago because, like you said, there's two or three, and that's just Marvel per year, not to mention the independent ones and the DC ones. And I would have thought audiences would have fled by now, but they, but they haven't. Um, and why why haven't they? I'm, I'm assuming you're, you mean from the Marvel side of things. Well, yeah, that's exactly right on the Marvel side. Oh, I'd say Marvel has has done. They've done two things, I think, and one is they're telling one grand story, and that grand story builds with every film right. and culminated now with Infinity War um, and will, I guess, culminate next year's the sequel to Infinity War. Which, by War. the way, the end of Infinity War was amazing. Was amazing, uh, just right? Just as, as they're like fading away, they send the last text or whatever to Samuel Jackson who is Nick Cage uh, Nick Fury Nick, yeah, yeah. <laughs> should have been Nick be Cage, great if he was yeah. Nick Cage. Yeah. I don't know what's going yeah. on right here mother <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that yeah. Nick Fury like Samuel Jackson can save the universe um, exactly you know and, and, that, and that's what I'm saying so, so to me uh, I, I think that like okay we've they've done a great job of this because they always like now the tradition is you wait until the credits roll mm-hmm. to see the last little tidbit but there's I mean we love Iron Man I do do we need another movie 
we love i mean you tell me like what, well what, i don't know and that's that's what's going to be interesting to see from marvel is a lot of the people who started the marvel universe 10 years ago their contracts are up so they're probably really probably not even probably they're definitely going to leave so robert downey jr chris evans you know the original cast so it's going to be interesting to see they signed 10-year contracts well they signed at this point i think robert downey jr is going per movie and he he said that you know it's it's time to go and the same with chris evans and so well, have i told you my one theory though uh what is i it? don't like it when um if you play one superhero <laughs> yeah i remember you're banned about from playing the next one. i think that was on <laughs> our show so, yeah that's so, such a weird you have such a weird line I, in the sand i don't there. like it chris evans i'm thinking is he the human torch or the, yeah, the captain america that's right so he right what did he sign the rights for what did he sign the deal for but do you but you don't like him as captain america I, only because of he was he's in the disqualified <laughs> All right, so you're Ryan having- Reynolds is Deadpool. He was Greenland. Don't, don't try and fool me. I remember. Yeah. Ben Affleck that you played Daredevil and the movie sucked. So you're not allowed to be Batman. <laughs> People got so mad at that read. They Did got they so really? mad at my logic. Yeah, I they can understand. Really mad. Josh Brolin uh, is uh, Thanos, but he was something else too. Yeah, Cable. <laughs> so, anyways, I love- <laughs> sorry. So you're saying these guys, these guys' contracts are coming up? Yeah. So right. they're out. So it's going to be interesting to see what will happen after that. So you know, the Marvel has established these new heroes, which are popular: Black Panther, and I guess Ms. Marvel is probably going to be popular, and maybe Ant Man can go along. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy has another movie coming, but what's what's going to happen when they no longer have the marquee stars? I mean, would you? I guess you wouldn't. Would you stand if they recast? The role of Iron Man? Would you would you go see an Iron Man movie that did not star? See, Robert I was Downey never Jr.? a fan of Iron Man per se. Like like I told you the last year yeah. we did, I was always a DC guy, right? You know, and um, I loved Marvel to an extent, but I did not like Iron Man. I, was, I didn't like the way he was drawn. I didn't like the concept of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a fan of Avengers or X Men. I like Spider-Man, but um, so to me, like I have a real big issue with, with superhero movies. I don't really care for them because I find them all the same. And I'll tell you what it is for me. I think we might have discussed this last time, but now mm-hmm. that we're talking about the movies, you know, uh, um, smarmy hero, sarcastic, funny guy, yep. uh, alien invasion, saves the earth, end of story. Mm-hmm. Or group of smarmy, sarcastic people save the earth from alien invasion. Uh, mm-hmm. Reboot and actually, like when when uh, Suicide Squad came out, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great movie, and a lot of people hated it. Mm-hmm. I love Will Smith the movie. I love Margot Robbie in that movie, and the other characters, uh, Jared Leto as, uh, as as Joker. But you know, like to me, like I've always been a DC guy. Like if you're going about wrestling in the '80s, I was always a WWF guy. I didn't yeah. really care about NWA slash WCW. So I'm more on that side. So I'm easier sold on the movies they're putting out you know what i mean but why what what appeals to you about dc that marvel doesn't have i think because it's batman based around batman and superman you know um and you know teen titans i was a big teen titans fan which i think we talked about last time got a movie coming out an animated movie at the end of the year really yeah with changeling or beast boy I don't know what they call him. Because I don't like, you know, I've told you, I don't like the boy involved. <laughs> Changeling is much but better. Yeah, maybe he's Beast Man now, you know. He's just... <laughs> but my point is, so so where, where do the movies go, though, Reed? Is there other characters that you think in the Marvel Universe or DC Universe that they can make a cool movie with? Like you mentioned Aquaman. Yeah. Does that have a chance to be good? 
I don't think so, based on because it's it's cut from the same cloth as Batman versus Superman and and some of the other misfires. You know, it's the same tone, it's the same visual look, it's the same style. It's that Zack Snyder style that I personally don't like, and and based on the reviews, you know, the mainstream public does not like as well. So. Uh, for me, that one's kind of DOA. And also, I know we were talking about this last time, Aquaman's a little bit goofy to begin with, so I don't know if the... His superpowers are that he controls the ocean. <laughs> yeah, he talks to fish. And my thing is, okay, so let's say you're on a boat and it sinks. Yeah. Batman can't help you. No, all right. Superman can. Well, <laughs> Green Lantern can. You just make sure you don't have any fights on the ocean, I guess. You gotta, Has, have it, we seen Aquaman yet? Did he appear in Justice League? Justice League? He, he did, yeah. yeah. Did, we, did, did, did we like him? Was it good? Was it bad? I mean, some people liked him. Um, you know, he's kind of a badass. You know, I think they tried to play against the type of that Aquaman was kind of a punchline, and they just made him a complete badass. I mean, Jason Momoa is Yeah, he, and he looks badass. crazy. It's a good casting. He, yeah, you know, and he's got the crazy tattoos, and he's, right. like, totally ripped, and, um, yeah. That's one thing I'm I'm glad they did because you know if they would have done like you know the, the the dyed yellow hair and all that other stuff right you know i think if you're good it all stems back to entourage when um exactly was the name Vin, vince vinny yeah vinny right vinny, vinny chase Vin, yeah vince, vinny chase vincent chase mm-hmm. when he got the gig with aquaman with james cameron it was a big deal right and it's cool they finally did it but you had to completely recreate the mold Exactly. And in Entourage, that was played as kind of satire, like superhero movie. There's no way they're ever going to get to Aquaman. Right. And then now they're Here we actually are. getting to Aquaman, which to me So is, what other DC characters do you think crazy. they could do something with? Well, I mean, they're making a sequel to Wonder Woman, which comes out next year. Well, but that was a legit hit, though. That was a legit hit. Right. So I feel, like, I feel like that's the way they need to go. They just need to have their own vision for characters that do not uh, conform with what has gone before, because... The universe that they've tried to create with the Zack Snyder movies, the Batman versus Superman, the Justice League, I think is a complete misfire. I don't think people want any more of that. And so they need to um, kind of re- just come up with a new vision that fits that whatever particular character they want and not try to shoehorn it into this universe that they're building as mm-hmm. Marvel has done mm-hmm. so well. So, I mean, I would like to see that. I'd like to see a new Superman movie. They're making a new Batman movie, apparently. Really? With yeah. who? Well, this is the rumor that Ben Affleck is out. So, right. which is But people didn't like Ben Affleck as Batman. I didn't. Right. Did you? To me, it's always still Michael Keaton. Yeah, okay. Which was very controversial when he was cast. Right. Because he's a comedian, Mr. Mom. Mm-hmm. But he played it like, you know, I loved him as ev- as the everyman rich guy who had that little crazy psycho. We talked about this last time about Christopher, Christopher Reeve as Superman. Right. There, something looks off about these guys. And Michael <laughs> Keaton, as we saw in Birdman, like he looks a little bit crazy. Whereas Clooney didn't have that. Val Kilmer kind of did, but they didn't give enough you know, Christian Bale was great to me. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck doesn't look crazy to me. No. Like I would, I if if someone said Ben Affleck called you a jerk, I'd go punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. If someone said Christian Bale called you a jerk, I'd say, well, you know, I'm a jerk. See you later, buddy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something different there, a little bit off. It's funny that you picked that up because that was Tim Burton's big fight with the studio. He wanted to cast Michael Keaton, and the studio was completely dead set against it because no one thinks of him first as Batman. Right. But Tim Burton's argument was, I'm not casting Batman. I'm casting Bruce Wayne, which I think is, you picked up on it, it's the total genius and, and, move and, and, and that and he why, did. And why did he choose Michael Keaton of all people. Well, yeah, he'd work with him in Beetlejuice and he thought oh. he he displayed exactly what you're talking Bingo. about. He's a great 
Bingo. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And he has that little bit of kind of psychosis, but he can also play the yeah. debonair um, rich guy. And so I, I think it worked. I agree with you. I, I didn't need him. I didn't need some like big muscle bound kind of guy to be to be Batman, to be believable. I believe Michael Keaton. Because the role. idea with Bruce Wayne is that he's basically an everyman who's a rich playboy, but also very smart. Mm-hmm. And he's he doesn't have superpowers. Right. He's just very smart and very physically agile and fit so to me the more of a muscle-bound guy you get the less that fits what the basic uh canon of batman is mm-hmm. right right batman is a guy who like you said his parents were shot in front of him in a back alley after a movie and yep. then grows up wanting to be a crime fighter so let's say it's you or me we might not be blessed with genetics of a six foot five you know, 280 pound guy. You might just be a normal looking guy, which Bruce Wayne is. Right. Right. Exactly. And so also what makes you something in his head is broken. You know, his parents yes. get shot in front of him. So what what makes you so broken that you decide you're going to put on a bat costume and go out and fight crime? You know, none of us would do that if, right, our, exactly. if our parents got shot. So I do think it was it was good casting. And I think, so who are they talking about now? I don't know. I haven't seen any names Affleck put is out, forward. So, okay. Maybe. I mean, that's the rumor. Because the, the, the thing with, with, with Batman, too, is there's, there's a lot of great villains mm-hmm. in the Batman realm. And you have to go deep. Like, they did it with Mr. Freeze before, with Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. which was kind of camp. And I think they did uh, Poison Ivy and Jim Carrey's The Riddler. Mm-hmm. But I remember like um, Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? No. Okay, so Blockbuster, Google it, kids, yeah. was like just a total musclehead lunatic, kind of like Bane. But Bane was like, that was he a nuclear problem or he got injected with some sort of so many steroids serum, or whatever. Yeah. And and Blockbuster was just a big giant dude that just would crush people. I always liked that villain. He was mm-hmm. very, very, very C-lister, mm-hmm. you know? But I think there's a lot of those type of villains. Just like like Superman. Like they should do a Mr. Mixtelplick. Remember <laughs> Mr. Mixtelplick? <laughs> yeah. Explain who that is. Yeah, so he was a, he was a little impish guy, right? He was from another dimension. Yes. Um, he, wore, he looked almost like uh, the Lucky Charms Leprechaun. Yes. And he tormented Superman. And uh, the way to beat him was always to make him say his name backwards. Right, if, if you could say his name backwards. <laughs> Which... You know, I, he was a big part of the. I think it was the Super Friends cartoon. I don't know if you ever watched that. I did. Up. Did they have that in Canada? Oh yes, they yeah. Did. Okay, all right. And the Spider Man cartoon. Okay, okay. So, you know, but it was as a kid, I always loved it. But you know, as a, can you imagine as an adult sitting down and trying to write like the thirtieth episode of Mister Mixelblick and coming up with yet another way where we've tricked him into saying his name backwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't yeah, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> That's he would disappear. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, they need something, though, man, because, like you said, like, Superman versus Batman mm-hmm. is as big as it gets. Yeah. And it didn't work. It didn't. Right? Uh, no, but I, I think they're, they're, always, they're just going to come up with a new vision of Batman. So they've got, they've got Matt Reeves, the guy who did the, the War of the Planet of the Apes, um, working on the new Batman. So I think maybe that's a good choice. And, 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 and Justice League of America, did that do any business? It did some, but I mean, it was considered a disappointment so much so that I think um, Warner Brothers is now they've basically fired the whole team behind it. They've replaced their management. Um, so I think they're. Completely Does it seem like DC direction. has to go, have to go a little bit deeper? Like we're talking about Ant-Man, just such a random yeah. small level character. Like, could they do like a Plastic Man movie or maybe? I mean, I, I think if they did it right, people would would watch it but i it was like the reason you like the dc characters is because they're so kind of iconic and so i would think they would get these characters right first i mean it's how do you screw up a batman movie i don't know how they do it 
I mean, they should just put out a Batman movie every two or three years. How do you well, screw right, up yeah. a Superman movie? Yeah. But, they but they have. They have. I, I find by the casting. Yeah. The, I've, I've never seen a Superman that I've liked better than Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. And that was 40 years ago, literally. That's right. 78, right? That's right. Um, and I think they've missed the mark. Yeah. I really do. Whereas the Batmans, they've had some good ones, but like, you can't build your empire just on those two alone. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they should right. go a little bit deeper. Um, Green Arrow, could that help? May I mean the TV show does great, right. which I never thought would have happened. So I yeah. don't know how they made that. Character. Flash, the Flash. Flash could be a good one. We also I know there's a, a CW Flash, but yeah, a movie version of Flash. Maybe they're, yeah, they're was developing he in JLA. It. Yeah, he was, um, and they had planned a movie for this year or next, but that got scrapped after the whole Justice League debacle. Uh, apparently, it was a very serious script, and now they're redeveloping it. Kind of what I read was in the mold of Back to the Future. So meaning, meaning the Flash can run so fast that he can travel in time. Okay, well they, so he's done that. We've he's seen done that. that. Before, okay, yeah. so that's that's I guess that's canon. So they they're I think they're looking to do something a little bit lighter with him um, that involves time traveling. What, what else are you hearing as far as upcoming movies? Uh, I mean, there's a few things. Uh, you know, the Wonder Woman movie is set in the '80s, which I'm kind of excited about. Just to, if nothing else, just to see the haircuts and the, and the fashion. <laughs> Everyone so, loves movies in the '80s now. Definitely, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. But it's it's funny. Like I grew up in the '80s. So, so did it's I. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I know. That's why I love Glow the, on Netflix. Oh it's so yeah, great. yeah, that's right. But the, so you like to watch things from the '80s? I do because you know, like when you grew up in that era, it was such a fun era mm-hmm. and so over the top, you know, campy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that working with Wonder Woman. That's 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 like like I said, like for me, the lone bright spot, excuse me, in the last year and a half, eighteen months, which is the same thing, duh. Yep. Of DC movies was Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like okay, they finally nailed this character, right? And the tone of this movie, and they can probably build a franchise on that. Yeah, maybe so. I think that I think they are, and I think uh, you know, unless they screw up this movie completely that they'll have they'll have wonder woman going forward um right, and right, try right. to try to do some good things with that and they just need to rethink their other characters maybe the batman movie will be a hit and that'll establish batman and then maybe down the line they'll bring those the likable versions of these characters back together in another justice league it, know, it's knows? all it's all like in the casting right like you are looking at batman or i'm looking at batman like james bond yeah, and everyone loves Sean Connery and Roger Moore for for a time capsule guy was great. Timothy Dalton not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, George Lazenby not good. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan okay, and now Daniel Craig now that's a guy I believe in again. He's great. He's great. So that's kind of what they need to do with Batman. Bring somebody else in there because I thought Christopher Bale was really good, mm-hmm. but but he just didn't want to do it anymore, right? He didn't. I guess, you know, he's just wanted to move on to other things. And Christopher Nolan was moving on, so he probably didn't want to work with a different director. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think those characters are forever. Like, I, I, right. James Bond movie comes out. I still get excited about sure. that. And they find ways to just tell a new one-off story each but that's time. But that's what comic books are, right? Yeah. Every month the new book comes in. It's got to be a different story with the same character. So I agree with you. I think DC got a little too hung up on trying to copy Marvel, which was create a universe where each movie flows into the next and you're telling one larger story that culminates in one of the big movies you know just in this case justice league of america so maybe you're right maybe they should just step back and just take their characters and just do different versions of them kind of forever why do they have to copy marvel all the time right so so what else do we have coming up comic book wise i mean obviously i'm still thinking walking dead maybe the most most successful comic at this point Mm -hmm. as far as adapting to 
you know this this iconic series that we have mm-hmm. but the comics are still rolling the comic walking yeah. dead comic yes it's a great comic if, right if people who just watch the show don't read the comic it's truly a but they haven't ca- but they haven't reached the end of the comic on the show yet there's still a lot of other things like i i can't remember what the name of them are the is it the white walkers that's game of thrones right. but there's some kind of group that is in the middle of a bunch of of, of a pack of walkers yes. because they where the the the, the, the entrails the and whisperers stuff. the whisperers yeah, that's, that's it right, okay. so for people that don't know and this is not a spoiler because i don't read the comics but there's we have not seen the whisperers yet mm-hmm. which is a group of psychos just like you know negan's gang mm-hmm. but they they travel in a pack of zombies it's great uh, uh camouflaged by the zombie entrails it's great yeah wow that, that comic that's so imaginative and it does such a good job of of really thinking about what the world would be like if, if everything broke down. And right. I think it's, it's, I think it's almost up to issue 200 now, and it's, it still never gets old. So this still comes out every month. It still comes out every month. The trade paperbacks sell a ton. Yeah, I, I really, if people would just watch the TV show and they're missing out on the comic, because it's, it's, it's really Because, like, great. Game of Thrones has gone past the book. Yeah. So now the dude is like, like okay, like, stop watching the show. I'm going to read the book. What's up with that guy? It's taking him, like, <laughs> every time I see him, he's signed on to some other project. He's, he's damn creative, you know. Yeah. But I always, I like the fact that, that uh, Walking Dead is ahead of the show, Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't do the same thing as, as the show doesn't do the same thing as the comic and vice versa. Yeah, I like that. So too. you can enjoy them both. Right. I think they were trying to do that intentionally. Right. So you wouldn't if you read the comic, you wouldn't be sitting there bored with the show. But right, uh, right. Yeah, there's a few a few movies coming out next year. Uh, what about Shazam? Do you know this character Shazam? Well, of course, I know the character Another Shazam. Now, DC. let's explain what Shazam is. Okay. Billy Batson. Correct. Yeah. So Billy Batson, uh, Shazam, actually he's called Captain Marvel. He, he came out. He had in the two 40s. names. He had two names. Why? That, that's another interesting one. Let uh, me lay it on us, dude. Yeah. Okay. So he's been sued to oblivion. So he came out uh, after Superman came out to try to ride the coattails of Superman. He was published by, um, you know, another comics company. He oh. was called Captain Marvel at the time. Uh, DC did not like it and sued that comics company and won, and he had to cease publication, Captain Marvel, in the 50s. Uh, so, but he was very popular. I mean, he was selling supposedly the most sold comic uh, of, of that time period was a Captain Marvel. He was selling millions mm. at the time, almost as much as Superman, and sometimes With more. With a different company, though. Like With said. a different company, yeah, Fawcett. Um, so, Fawcett? Yeah. Uh, and so in the 1970s, Weirdly enough, DC acquired the rights to publish Captain Marvel, even though they had sued him out of business. And so they brought him back, I think, in 1972, um, and only to find that they could not call him Captain Marvel because Marvel Comics, a few years earlier, had trademarked the name or copyrighted the name Captain Marvel. And so DC had paid all this money to acquire this character only to find out that they had been screwed over by Marvel, which is pretty, pretty awesome. So they had to call him Shazam, which is his magic word. So he's a character. He's, he's basically a guy who um, says the magic word Shazam and through some sort of wizardry turns into this Superman-like character. Right, he can exactly, fly, yeah. he's invulnerable. His cape's just a little bit shorter. That's really the only difference. And Billy Batson is kind of like a Peter Parker. like He's kind of a nerdy yeah. kid. Yeah, exactly. And whenever he gets in trouble, he yells out, Shazam! Yeah, and like Superman, he has this whole family of Shazam characters. A dog. Yeah, a dog. <laughs> Mary Marvel. He, there's a grandpa Shazam. There's like a whole family. It's, it's sort of got ridiculous after a while. Uh, so, yeah, so even to this day, DC publishes Shazam, and they cannot call him Captain Marvel because Marvel owns the trademark to Captain Marvel. So they're getting ready to do a movie for Shazam? So they're getting 
married to do a movie and it is called Shazam. So was, was the rock attached to this or something at some point? He was. He's gonna play the villain, supposedly. Black Shazam? Black Adam. <laughs> oh, Black Adam, sorry. Yeah. I knew there was a black Shazam in there. would be amazing though. <laughs> Probably. Black Adam. Yeah. So he's supposedly the villain, but I don't know if he's gonna appear in this one, but they were talking about making his own movie, um, giving him because he's the rock, so they would give him his own movie. Wow. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. Do we see. know who's playing Shazam? Yes, and I can't remember his name right now. He was, um, man. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, if only. Dumbest name ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was in a, um, he was in an NBC sitcom where he's kind of a quirky, funny guy. Apparently it's a comedy, Shazam. They put out a well, Isn't that what they want now, though? Because yeah. all, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy was so like funny that everyone loved the the humor of it exactly uh it's funny because i just typed in shazam as he's gonna play shazam right. but it comes up with the app the that app, will tell you right. what music that, that you want to hear how low this character's <laughs> yeah, got it's exactly. below an app on google yeah well, yeah I, I uh oh shazam film yeah 2019 yeah oh it's got a cool logo yeah there's the logo oh, okay yeah it looks yeah. Like kind of an acdc type thing and it says uh Starring Zachary Levi. Thank you. Yes, Zachary Levi. Do we, it does not have The Rock in here, though. His it's, name was... He was in Chuck. I think it was that NBC Zachary series. Levi, uh, he played Chuck Bartowski in the series Chuck. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I know that show. It was on, I think, NBC for a few seasons. Was it a comedy? Or? He kind of, like okay. a dramedy. All right. He, he was in Thor mm -hmm. and Thor Ragnarok. Okay. So he must have been a villain in those things. So that that's kind of the new, uh, the new one that they're looking for. Yeah, is uh, is Shazam. So that I mean, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that because you know that doesn't. I don't know if it's going to. They're going to try to fit it into the DC universe where Batman, and Superman live, or if it's just going to be its own complete thing. <laughs> they, they seemed uh, well. Yeah, it's getting really uh, deep here because I'm not going to read it. Upcoming American superhero film, a DC Comics character of the same name, is intended to be the seventh installment. In the DC Extended Universe. Yeah, okay. Is that I, what we're talking about? That's what we're talking about. Okay. But I I call a little bit bullcrap on that in the same <laughs> way that, you know, Wonder Woman didn't feel like it necessarily fit into those other films. So you're saying that just because Wonder Woman's there, she's not exactly like, you know, doesn't have Batman's phone number in her, you know, yeah, cell phone, right, in her yeah, Wonder Phone. <laughs> maybe she does. Maybe she does. Let me ask you, as, as we wind down here, yeah. um, another comic this is not DC or Marvel. It's got a huge follower right now is Riverdale. Yeah, yeah. Based on Archie Comics. Yeah. And years ago, two or three or four years ago, um, I had actually talked to Archie Comics about writing a book. What? And then I just ran out of time. And the ideas I had just weren't coming together. Uh, but I turned my kids onto the comics. And now my daughters are obsessed. One of them in particular, Sierra is obsessed with the show Riverdale. Okay. Um, you know, Jughead and all that. And it's, yeah. and it's not like, it's not a lighthearted comedy. It's a, it's a deep drama with murder. Mm -hmm. Like Midge, Moose's girlfriend got murdered. Like <laughs> Veronica's dad is a murderer. And it's all these crazy things. And they're just, they're, they're so into it that they thought that Jughead died in the second last episode. And my daughter was bawling and crying. Really? So much tears. Jughead's not dead. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. But it just, it was, it was like, wow, it's interesting to me when you see, like you mentioned Arrow. Mm -hmm. We mentioned The Flash on CW. And at Riverdale, I think, is also CW. Mm -hmm. Luke Cage on Netflix. They're finding these kind of more random characters to make TV series out of. And they're very popular 
which really blows me away. That's interesting. What is your daughter like about the show in particular? Well, they, they cast. It's funny, too, because for us, guys are as Luke Perry's in it. Mm -hmm. Mark Consuelos is in it. Skeet Ulrich is in it. All these guys that we watched in the 90s and 2000s that were leading men. Now they play the, the parents. And of course, she, they love Cole Sprouse is, is Jughead. He's like, you know, yeah. one of the hot young upstarts and whoever plays Archie, some redheaded dude. But it's 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 very serious, which I was like laughing because I remember like I was a huge Archie comics fan when I was a kid, but it was all more funny. Yeah. Jughead ate food. He hated girls. Yep. Now it's a whole different vibe, but it's still keeping this comic book tradition alive to a whole new generation. It's really amazing. Yeah, because that's probably Archie's, what, 70 years old, I think? I mean, I, I think he probably started around the time Batman and Superman I did. I think you're exactly right. And they've managed to reinvent him because I know a few years ago they they reinvented the comic. And so right. it looks much more um, photorealistic as the wrong, but it's not drawn in that cartoony style. Yes. And it's written much more like a soap opera with real teenage problems. It's not... You know, right, it's almost like it's like it's like more like a more evil Degrassi junior high, right? Where they've got the teenage problems, but then there's murder, yeah. And like yeah. Jughead got the shit kicked out of him by this evil gang that came to town. It's just like Man. this is not the Archie comics that I know, but I also feel very proud that my daughters are growing up with Archie the same way that I did. Yep, but not by reading the comics. But have you ever shown them the old comics well, and be like, this is what Archie actually Well, yeah, looks like, like I said, like when I was talking about writing a, a story for yeah. them, I took them to the comic book store. Oh, okay. And actually, they were sending me boxes of Archie comics that I would give to my oh, kids. Man. I'm not sure how much they got into it, but they were familiar enough with the characters so that when Riverdale became a thing, they jumped right on it. Oh, gotcha. And that's, I guess, as, as, as the last question or the last topic to discuss is where do comic books go now in the future? When we were kids, we would go to the comic book shop and buy your titles. Yep. I know people still do that, mm -hmm. but they're all adults. They are. Right? And they're all adults who are probably middle-aged and they have a lot of disposable income because comics now are $4, $5 just for a single issue. Right. Sometimes it's only 20 pages of story. Whereas when I was growing up in the 80s, they were... 65 or 75 cents you could get a big stack of them take them to the beach or I remember whatever. in the 70s you can get them for 25 cents i had some that were 10 cents really I had some that were eight cents but that's like 1972 73 right that's right yeah. yeah and so i think now they're kind of out of the reach of average everyday kids and and their allowance they become much more of a of a niche specialty item for the hardcore fans the hardcore collectors people who have been reading comics for 20 or 30 years and you know, know all the ins and outs of the stories and the continuity going back decades. And so they're not written for new readers. And I don't think they're trying to necessarily attract new readers. They say they are, but I find them impenetrable. But how does the industry survive then? Yes. Well, I mean, by um, just catering to those hardcore, you know, the last estimate I saw was maybe only a couple hundred thousand readers in the United States are actively reading comic books. Wow which is kind of scary and it's dwindling you know if you look at sales over the decades they're just dwindling and so marvel and dc are much more uh, stunt driven these days um, they one of the things they've been doing is they restart the comic book um, the titles at issue number one to try to get collectors on board and to try to draw attention so they keep restarting them i mean wolverine has been restarted like five times in the last six years something like that you know they're restarting superman dc is again they just 
so they're doing all of that and um, to try to squeeze more money out of a dwindling audience. Well, I that's think. what I mean. And I bet you that demographic is probably in their 30s and 40s. They are. Because, you know, my kids aren't going to the comic book store. And that's how I judge everything. Like, same mm. thing with, like, you know, CD sales or book sales, mm -hmm. DVD sales. Those those physical items don't exist mm -hmm. to children that are 15 or 12. Uh, comics, I, I'm not sure if they release them online. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. But those but sales are minuscule. Of course. So they're more, it's almost like when you're in a band, you release a record almost as a souvenir to your fans who then come to the show. That's what I've heard from everyone who's in music now. Right. It's just that they make their money from the concerts. From the show. And the, the, the music is like a loss leader. It's like so almost marketing. It would almost seem that the comics themselves are souvenirs yeah. for people to go to see them in the movies or watch them on TV. You could be right on that. And by exactly. the merch. Like, my house is filled with Riverdale merch. Uh -huh. I bought in phone cases and stickers and shirts and banners. That is where Riverdale slash Archie is probably making way more money off that than they ever did, uh, they ever are off, you know, the, the titles now. It could be. And if, if, the, if that's true, then they're really smart to kind of pivot in that way and just move away from the traditional comic book publishing and try to make money in other ways. But yeah. Do I you think, think right. there's a time read when the comics that we know won't exist anymore maybe i don't know i thought about this a lot and they could be it could very much be but um one of the things that has always kept them in business especially now is they are as you say owned by the movie studios and what is really happening is they're almost like r&d labs for the movies so they've got all these great writers who know these characters well they've got editors who have sometimes been editing these characters for many many years and each month they're producing a new story so all these characters every single month producing a new story and that could be turned into an episode of a tv show or a new film and so when marvel goes to do ant-man or whatever they've got literally decades of ant-man stories to choose from and they know what works with the character and what doesn't and so I think that's a real, real benefit to superhero movies and one of the reasons why they do so well. It's not just somebody sitting down and trying to write uh, what happens to Indiana Jones next. Well, we have no idea. Well, with Ant-Man, they know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the Avengers, they know. Um, and so all these characters have that advantage. So I think in the long run, what does Disney care about losing even a few million dollars? I don't think they lose in publishing, but if the day comes where they are in the red, I don't think they'll care because what's that to develop these movies? Right. Um, so that that's, I guess, my hope of, of what will happen, but I, I really don't know. I mean, what happens when comic books are so expensive that they're selling 2,000 issues? I, I really don't, I don't know right. what's going to happen then. Or, or, or the demand decreases to where there's only 2,000 people in their 50s who still want comics because they grew up that way. Right. Because like I said, my kids love comic book movies mm -hmm. or TV shows, mm -hmm. but not the comics themselves. There's, that's so true. And that's what's happening with a lot of the audience is that millions and millions of people around the world go to see the Ant-Man movie or go to see the Avengers movie, but then for some reason it does not translate into comic sales. And that's been happening since even since the Superman movie came out in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one is sure why. But I, I guess I can understand because I wouldn't necessarily run out and look for the source material. You know, I didn't go out and read the James Bond novels. I don't know about you. Did you be, I used hey, to. Did you really? I did, yeah. Hey, Ian Fleming. Let me go. Hey, Ian Fleming. Like a movie. Guy. Yeah. Last question. What's your favorite superhero movie? Ooh, man. Uh, the original Superman? What about you? 
Uh, original Superman. I love Superman too as well. I also mm-hmm. loved uh, Tim Burton's Batman with with Jack Nicholson as a Joker. And as great as Heath Ledger was, I still think Jack Nicholson is the best Joker of all time. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, even with the Prince soundtrack. Have <laughs> well, you gone back and watched Bat that? Dance? Yeah, it's so eighties, right? So eighties. Yeah, man, dude. What a great stuff. We're going to do this uh, in a few months. We'll do another episode of Comic Talk, although I might change the name of that by the time this comes out. But if not, it's Comic Talk with uh, Reed Tucker slash Tucker Reed. Another classic. Slugfest is the book. Thank you. Go buy it. It's a great story uh, about Marvel versus DC, and we'll uh, continue this relationship in the future, man. Thanks for having me on. I had a great time, as always. Thank you. Excelsior! Thanks again to Reed Tucker. What a great guy. Pick up his book about the Marvel versus DC war called Slugfest inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. You can get that on Amazon or wherever you buy books. I go back and listen to the show we did earlier this year. It was a great time. Uh, great time today learning about all those guys that got ripped off that created these amazing characters and these amazing universes. So uh, God bless all those guys. Thanks for all the great years and all the great superheroes that all you guys created. Uh, thanks for listening today and coming up next week next Wednesday we're digging into the Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey case that's featured on the Netflix docuseries Making a Murder both seasons I just finished watching season 2 with expert journalist John Farrick now John's been covering uh, this case since the trial back in 2005 whenever it was which was the focus of the first season of Making a Murder and John's continuing to cover the developments in the case since that time and even wrote a book about it himself it's called Wrecking Crew He tells us why he thinks Stephen and Brendan are innocent, what he believes really happened to Teresa Halbach and what may have actually killed her, who may have actually killed her. John breaks down the evidence and shares some theories on why he believes Manawak County and the state of Wisconsin are so determined to keep both Stephen and Brendan in prison. He's going to talk about Kathleen Zellner and the uh, uh, methods she's using to prove that Avery and Dassey are innocent, if you believe that. Uh, All of the inside information. He also updates us on the latest developments in the case that have happened since the second season of Making Murder was released. If you're into Making the Murder as much as I am, one of the strangest, most controversial on Netflix shows, uh, you're going to want to listen to this. If you haven't seen Making a Murderer yet, go check it out and join us on Wednesday for a great conversation about Making a Murderer with John Farrick. Okay, we'll see you then. Be safe. Uh, uh, peace, love, and hugs. And um, like I said, you know I love you. Stay hungry, stay hard, and uh, we'll see you on uh, next week and uh, give you a big yeah boy for 2019.